But this week, as we wrap things up, you know, and, and there's been a lot that's, that's been given in the Gospels and a lot that's been given in the Sermon on the Mount, but we have to make sense of it all, right? Alistair McIntyre, a philosopher, argues that you need a story to make sense of things, right? You have to have a story to make sense of things. Our house church is going through every good endeavor, and Tim Keller uses that in there as well, and it, it really is true. How do we make sense of everything that happens in our world? We connect it to a story, you feel compelled to. I was out for dinner once at a restaurant, meeting with someone. First time I got to know, the first time I was ever meeting with this person, getting together at a, at a restaurant. And we're just sitting there, and out of nowhere comes this, you know, 30 something guy, comes from behind, just hugs me from, from behind, comes to the table, gives me a hug, and then walks away. Well, let me explain this, right? Like, I know him. He was one of my students from like 10 years ago. He just saw me. He just hugged me. He didn't say anything. He just, I have to tell the person I'm with, right, what just happened. Otherwise, it doesn't make any sense. Or, I mean, you could come up with other stories that would make sense of it. That story makes sense of that incident because it, he was my former student. He gives me a hug. You know, or fine. Or you have to come up with some other story. Like maybe this man is just insane and he's hugging everybody. Um, or right, maybe he mis- has mistaken me for someone. You, you have to make up a story to make sense of the things that are going on in your life, the things that you're encountering. The realities around you have got to be connected to something for us to be able to make sense of things. The Sermon on the Mount, right, the gospel's got to be connected to a story too. Right, what, what Jesus has called us to, this picture that he said, all of this reality that we've, that we've been studying this has got to be connected to something. If not, we're in, we're in real danger of missing it. Because what we've seen so far in the Sermon on the Mount, right? I mean, Jesus, Jesus has given us this whole new world. I mean, this whole new way of living. He's flipped upside down everything that we kind of hold and value. Right? He said, like, this whole world now is reversed where the poor are important, where they're blessed, where the wealthy, right, is not a sign of blessing anymore, where the weak are the ones who have power, where there is glory in suffering. I mean, he's just blown the doors off of our world. And he said, not just that there's a new way of living, but that there's a new reality that we can actually live in, right, that he is, in fact, the king of the universe, that he has established his own kingdom that he has called us to participate, to live in this kingdom. I was like, who is this man who can say these things? This carpenter, right, from Nowheresville and is saying that you don't have to live the way that you've been living anymore, right? This man shows up in human history and just tells everyone at that time and us, right, through the recording of his words, You don't have to live in fear anymore. You can live in love. You don't have to be afraid anymore. You can trust me. Right? He tells us you don't have to bend your knee to the emperor or to the king anymore. I'm your gracious king, right? I will take care of you. So the words of Christ in the sermon, it just blows us away, right? That this could be, in fact, the truth, that we could, in fact, have this kind of life that Jesus offers. We got to make sense of it, 
We've got to connect these words, this promise to something greater. And so that's what I want to do today. If you have a Bible, open it up to Isaiah. We're going to look at Isaiah 65. If you don't have a Bible, we will go through it on the screen as well. But sometimes it's nice to have a, a text in front of you. Isaiah 65, starting in verse 17. Right, the prophet Isaiah gives us a picture of the end of all things. Right? Gives us a picture of the end. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall it be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days, or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old, and the sinner a hundred years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be. And my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity. For they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. And dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. These pictures are everywhere through scripture. Of what it'll be one day. And it's connected to this story. We have to be able to connect the words of Christ to this broader story of the Bible. We've got to be able to connect our lives to this broader story of Christ and of the gospel. And the story, right, if you've never heard it before, right, the story starts out good, right? We just preached through Genesis not too long ago, but it, God created this world good, He created us. He created every living thing in this world to live life, to enjoy life, to be loved, and to love others. To just be able to exist whole and complete. To exist in a world in which there is love. Where we experience what it means to be loved. Where there's trust and obedience. Where there's worship and unity. Where there's service of one another that comes out of love, not out of selfishness. This just beautiful picture of what the world was supposed to be. That's the way this world was created. And we have those longings for that still in us. We we yearn for a world like that. We hear things like this in Isaiah. We read Revelation. We hear about this marriage supper of the Lamb in which all tears will be wiped away, right? And everyone will be restored. Where the, the hardships of life will no longer be remembered, what a powerful idea. Right? And we long for that because we know what this world was created for. Right? We know that. But we also know that it's not that now. And the Bible has been very clear as explaining why we don't experience that now. Because of our selfishness. 
Right? Instead of loving others and loving God, I love myself. Right? You do, I do, we all love ourselves. Because I love myself, I've corrupted this good world. So when you think about millennia upon millennia of humans corrupting this world through their selfishness, right? What a broken place we live. Because as I'm selfishly pursuing my own good, what I want, I hurt others. I'm constantly hurting people. I hurt the ones I love the very most, right? Because of my selfishness. And that just compounded and compounded this world instead of a world that should be known as a world of love and peace and truth instead becomes a world known for violence, for pain, for disappointment. Glimmers of hope, but they're short-lived and they're fleeting. And the scripture is clear on that. The wisdom literature of the Old Testament is clear on that, right? Like this world is fleeting. Your successes are fleeting. You will build a house, but then you will die and someone else will live in that house. You will build up your 401k, great. Well, you're not going to get it all, right? You can work so hard at your jobs. You can have kids. You can do all these things, but they're ultimately fleeting. It's not going to last. And we long for something that will last, right? We long for something that will be whole, that will be complete. And then you have Jesus, right? You have Jesus. This carpenter shows up and says, I fixed it all. This world is not the way it is anymore. Everything's different. Right? He walks around, he gathers his disciples, people to, that believe that he is who he says he is, and he says, look, the world isn't this way anymore. The world isn't going to be ruled by violence anymore. The world is not going to be ruled by pain anymore. The world is now going to be ruled by love. The light has come and it shined in the darkness and it's more powerful than anything. Right, he says that in his death and his resurrection, he points us to that. And then in his death and his resurrection, death has been defeated. Sin has no power. He gives his disciples, he gives everyone in this world a chance for a new identity, a new family, for new names even. Right, in baptism, all of these things. That the walls of hostility have been broken down. Right, The New Testament continually talks about this. That Jesus, because of Jesus... This, the walls are broken. I now have access to people that I never did before. That, that, that this world is no longer ruled by violence. That there's no longer these barriers that separate us between each other and between God. That we have access to one another. That the true and rightful king of this world that we've been so desperate for has come. It's the good news of the gospel. And it's great news and, and not even that, and that would be good news, right? That the king, the long-awaited Messiah, the one we've been waiting for, the f- true king who could actually love and give justice to this world has come. But not only that, he's actually called us to something. Right? The king has shown up, the king's kingdom is here, and he's called me into his kingdom, and he's given me a job. He's given you jobs, right? He's called us to live in this world in such a way Right, that it shows who he is, that together, together as his followers, that we are to love others and we are to love God. Jesus' message is so clear. Love God, love your neighbor, just love people the way that I love you. That we are supposed to be this small band of brothers and sisters who are going to be a counterculture in the darkness, right? Who are going to go against the patterns of this world, who are going to demonstrate and show this true kingdom and this true way of living 
I mean, it's really, it's powerful that we get to join him. Dallas Willard talks about, right, that we get to be part of this conspiracy, that there's a conspiracy going on in this world to undermine all the forces of darkness and evil. And I get to be part of it. C.S. Lewis, if you're a history guy, I love C.S. Lewis's analogy of this, right? He talks about imagine being right in Nazi-occupied France and you get the good news, right, that the Nazis are, are losing and you get to be part of the resistance, right? The allies are coming any day now and you get to fight. You get to join the winning side. He's called us to live in his kingdom. He's called us to do something. He's called us, right, to not live in the darkness, but to actually fight against the darkness, to fight against the injustices of our age, right, to love people generously and just passionately to show who the true king of this universe is. I mean, it's, it's incredible. It's absolutely incredible, the calling of the gospel, the message of Christ. I mean, it, it truly is. And what happens to us, right, is that, that message, when we hear the gospel for the first time, can you think of that? Or maybe that's been recent for you. But right, that when you first figured out who Jesus was, that this isn't just some man, that this really was the Son of God who came, who removed the power of sin and death, who shined his love into the darkness and transformed your world, transformed you, right? Whoa, right? Everything changes. The way you view the world changes. The power that you have, everything. And you get excited, right? You get really, really excited and you work hard and, and you throw yourself into things, right? I mean, I was a teenager, so, you know, the only thing I could throw myself into, right, is like youth ministry stuff, right? Or you, you go on missions trips or you go street evangelism or, I mean, you just throw yourself into stuff because it's like, don't you know who Jesus is? I can't wait. I can't believe it, right? And so you do those things, but if you've been a Christian for any length of period of time, right, it wanes. The excitement, it loses its luster. You experience pain. You experience suffering. You experience rejection. And then you go through these just kind of spurts and fits of hard work and laziness. Right? Where you're just, okay, I'm on fire. This is it. This conference was the one. Right, this church service, this is it. I'm gonna do it. This is my chance. I'm gonna really, I'm gonna bring the kingdom of God here. I'm gonna do it. And then you don't. And then you give up and say, well, he doesn't need me anyway. Well, no, he does. And then you do it again. It's just, this fits. Where we have, we have the promise of the kingdom, but we don't have it fully. Right, we, we have it, but we don't have it fully yet. We live in this time of the now but not yet. This just, wait, didn't Christ promise me? <laughs> didn't he make some pretty big promises about this? I mean, didn't he tell me that the world has been flipped upside down? Didn't he promise that I could live this way? Didn't he say that this was now the reality? Because I don't fully get it, right? I don't fully experience it. My life experiences it in part, Right? And we have those moments, those great victories, those wonderful moments like marriage, children, church, where it's just, this is great. Wow, the kingdom of God is here on earth. Like I can see him and I can taste him and I can experience him. And then it falters. 
What's going on? How do we make sense of this? How do we make sense of our experience? And how do we make sense of the words that Christ has given us? And I would argue right, that we've got to connect these things to the story. We have to have a story that makes sense of our lives. Right? We all have these stories. You have a story that makes sense of your existence. There's a reason you go to work. There's a reason you get out of bed every day. We tell ourselves stories to make sense. But the problem with our stories, the problem with my story, the problem with your story, is that our stories are always about us. The problem with my story is that my story revolves around me. And everything around me in life connects to my story. I love to make a story about myself. I read a lot of stories and I think of myself as the hero of those stories. Right? If you read Harry Potter, you think you're Harry Potter. You read Lord of the Rings, you think you're Aragon or you're Frodo. You know, you just you put yourself in the hero spot. I do it all the time. And my story revolves around me. And everything becomes part of my story. Right? Our stories where we work, we earn, we save the day. Right? We're our heroes. And if we're the hero of the story, right, we're going to take everything that we hear and turn it back to ourselves. We're going to hear the Sermon on the Mount, and we're going to be the hero of the story. All right, Jesus said, love our neighbors. All right, I'm going to love my neighbor like you've never seen, Jesus. I'm going to do this because you've told me to do it. And we're going to turn it into law, right? We're going to turn it into the way in which we please God, the way in which we win the world over, the what we have to do. Okay, if the Bible says I have to do the following things to have a peaceful family and marriage, all right, I'm going to do those things. I can fix this marriage. I can fix these kids. I can fix this church. I can fix, right, I'm going to do this. If the Bible said to do these things, then I will do those things. The gospel, we turn the good news of the gospel into just good news for us. Right? Good news for me, I get to now do these things. And then we do them. But what if our stories are too small? Right, the freedom of the gospel is it frees us from our individual stories. Because your story, whatever your story is, it's too small. It's not that great of a story. It's really not. Think of your story. Like, what's your story? Right, take a minute to think about it. What's the story you tell yourself every day? What, how do you make sense of your life? What's the plot of your story? Who's the hero in your story? Who's the antagonist in your story? What are you fighting against? Who's fighting against you? What are the obstacles that you're overcoming all the time? What's the great ending that you hope will happen? What are you fighting for? Right? It's too small. It's not that good of an ending. What's your ending? Right? Like a big 401k, a happy family, or even more godly, right? Like a really great church. It's too small. It doesn't matter. It all washes away. Right? Like the, 
the Bible's been really clear on that. No matter how hard you work, your ending is pretty lame in the grand cosmic order. It doesn't matter. It doesn't mean anything. Your family will not be remembered. Your name will not be remembered. People will not remember you. They're not going to remember the work that you did. They're not going to remember these things. Your kids and their next What are you working for? Your story's far too small. Right? It's far too small. The ending is not good enough. But what if? Right? And this is what scripture has been desperately trying to show us and what Christ is trying to point us to. What if there was a greater ending? What if there was a greater story that our stories were connected to? Right? What if we got to play a really valuable role? Right? What if our lives actually matter? Not because we get the ending, we get the reward, but what if we play a very small role in a grand cosmic story? What if we weren't the heroes? What if Jesus was the protagonist of our story? What if he was the protagonist of the grand ultimate story? What if he has already secured the glorious ending? That the ending of the story is already secure. It's going to happen. What if our lives are being used and transformed by this bigger story? What if your life, your everyday life, what if that gets to be used in this big story? How would we live? Right? How would you live your life if you weren't your hero? Right? How would we live our lives if our story was part of a broader one? A much bigger story, a much greater story. How would I live? What would I do? And I think we would live very differently. Right? We would have so much more confidence knowing that the ending of our story is secure. And we don't lose hope in the midst of those bad points. And every story has low moments. <laughs> Stories are helpful to frame those for us. Right? We, we don't tend to think in stories, even though we do. But when we think of our spiritual life, we think of we're arriving and it's done and we're going to win. And all. No, right? Like, no, you're going to, these down parts, these moments of despair and hopelessness, that's part of the story. But there has to be this broader story in which you're a part of where the ending is totally secure. We would live lives with such confidence, right? I have nothing to lose. I have nothing to be afraid of, right? I'm not, I, I, nothing can happen to me. I can do my job. I can play my role in the story without fear. We would have the ability to love, to genuinely love one another, right? If we're connected to a broader story. If I'm not my hero, Great. It really frees me. It frees me to support other people and their stories and what they're doing and their role. I don't have to be the one who's doing everything. I can step out of things. I can love others and put other people ahead of my own. I can actually sacrifice. I can actually love without that fear. And we would have so much more joy. There would be so much more joy knowing that my life is not at all is not all, everything that my life is not the center of my existence that there's something bigger something better and that I'm part of this grand epic story with a happy ending right we would we would sing we would sing and we would feast so much more i think ultimately knowing the story and knowing the ending of the story it leads us to rejoice 
right? This is, always seems to be the fruit that comes out of the Bible in the New Testament. It always tells, right, rejoice, that the Christians are supposed to be rejoicing, that we count everything pure joy, suffering, and glory, right? Everything is joy for us. We can rejoice in the midst of all circumstances. Well, how? How can you rejoice in the midst of all circumstances? How can I rejoice even in dark, dark times? Because I know the ending of the story. I know where this is going. I know that this, what I'm experiencing now, isn't what I was made for, what we were made for. And I can look towards the end. We would sing songs and we would tell stories. (laughs) We would stand there, we would sit, we would cry in the midst of sorrow and hardship, of course. But we would look forward to the dawn that's breaking. We know what's coming. And we rejoice in those high points. We rejoice in those moments when we should rejoice. But we look forward to the restoration of all things. We know that at that high point, we haven't arrived. We rejoice in the victory, but we know it's not the ultimate one. And we're always looking forward. We're always remembering the ending. I mean, if we just look at Isaiah again, right? Or just any of these pictures, but... You know, God says, right, he's going to be making a new earth and the former things will not even be remembered. They won't come to mind, right, in verse 17. You're like, whoa. The hardest parts of your life won't even be remembered. (laughs) What a great promise. It'll be that like, I can kind of remember. I remember for me, seventh grade was a hard year coming from homeschooling into the public school and it was difficult and I remember getting made fun of for what I wore to school on my first day. But I can't remember what I wore. So much time has happened. Right? As that continues, right? Like the worst part of your life, the worst thing, it'll be like that. I know it was hard. But I can't even rem- I can't remember the details of it. I don't, know, I don't remember why it was hard. But I know it was hard. The pain and the sorrow will be gone. Those dark moments will be forgotten. Well, no, they happened. But I can't even bring them to mind. No more shall it be that an infant lives for a few days or an old man does not fill out his days, right? No more will it be the shortness of life for newborns, for infants who die in utero in their youth. There will be a fullness. I will meet right those children. I will meet our own child who died of a miscarriage. Right? I will there will be No more weeping. There will be a fullness on that day, right? There will be a fullness to life in that ending. And I know what's coming. They will build houses and we will live in them. They won't go on to someone else. I will work with my hands and I will enjoy the fruit of my labor. That's the opposite of what the wisdom literature has been saying, right? That you work with your hands, but you won't get to enjoy it. Someone else will get to enjoy it. No, we will work and I will enjoy it. My work will be fulfilling, finally. My family will be fulfilled, whole, complete. There will no longer be this pain and that violence and the selfishness will be over. Being able to love people will be like breathing, right? Truthfulness, I don't even have to think about it. It's just going to come out of me, right? Like following the law will just be second nature. We long for that day. Knowing that that's the ending, makes sense of the time that we live in now.
right? If I know that glorious ending and I know that I'm one day closer today to that end than I was yesterday, and this is what Paul says in Romans, right? Don't you realize you're one day closer to that great ending? All right, it helps, right? It frames the gospel for me. It frames the good news. It frames what Christ has called me to. I don't lose hope when I fail because I know that the story doesn't depend on my success. The ending is secure. I live up to my role. I do what he's called me to do. I do it as well as I can, but I don't, right, but not with this fear all the time of will I be able to do this? I know that he's done it for me. Not to get completely uh, geeky, but this stuff really brings up a lot of Lord of the Rings for me. Sorry. <laughs> I know there are some people who are just not Lord of the Rings fans, and that's fine. You don't have to be. You should be, but you don't have to be. Samwise Gamgee, right? <laughs> Near the end, in the midst of all the darkness, he gives this quote I think is so great, right? It's like, the, it's like in the great stories, Mr. Frodo, the ones that really mattered, full of darkness and danger they were. And sometimes you didn't want to know the end because how could the end be happy? How could the world go back to the way it was when so much bad had happened? But in the end, it's only a passing thing, this shadow. Even darkness must pass. Sometimes we don't even want to know the ending. Right? Because the world doesn't really want to know an ending. Because you look at the world and you look at the darkness, you look at the pain and you say, how could the ending ever be good? How could all the bad ever come undone? We need to live as people who know the ending. We know this is a shadow that's passing. That this world is not my home. That my true home is coming. That one day all things will be made new. So we can rejoice. We rejoice in a people who haven't arrived yet. Right? I can take part in lavish celebrations, in feasts and rejoicing. I can rejoice with those who rejoice because I know the end is coming. And I can celebrate now. And I can weep. Right? I can weep as a people right, who know the shadow is a passing thing. I can, it doesn't diminish the sadness. It doesn't take away from the weeping. It doesn't take away from the pain of this world. But it frames it for us. It makes sense of it. And I know that everything wrong in this world will be undone. Nothing is wasted. None of my labor will be wasted. All of the hurts will come untrue. So Christ is calling us. He's calling us to live in his kingdom. He's calling us to be people of his who live in this world, who conspire with him to undo all of these things. So how do we do it? Right? How do we do this? How do we live right, in this Nazi-occupied France kind of world, to use Lewis's analogy? Right? How do I live in a world in which it's ruled by the dark, but I know that the light is coming? Well, Christ has been pretty simple on it. Love God, love your neighbor. Not, not very hard. Just love God and love your neighbor. Work hard. Right? Love your family. Love the people in your life. Trust God with those things. And then he gave us all of these things to remind us. And so as we love God and as we love our neighbor, as we pursue Christ together, right, let us rejoice. Right? Let us feast together. 
right? It's a, such a necessary function. This is why we take communion, right? Why it's the Lord's Supper, why it's a feast. This is why we gather together, not just on Sundays, but in the house churches regularly. We need to feast together because we will feast one day in the hall of the king. Right? We need to sing together. We need to remind ourselves of the greater story. We need to frame our stories in that broader story. So let us tell our story, right? But let's always tell of a greater story. And connect our story to his. Your life matters. Your story is infinitely important. But not because of you. But because of Christ. Who is using your story. Who is using your imperfect life. Your imperfect love. Using it perfectly. And bringing it into this cosmic reordering of all things. If there's nothing that can give you hope, right? I mean, that does. That there is more to my life than my life. That there is a greater love than my love. That there is a greater truth than my truth. I don't have to get this figured out. I don't have to defeat the darkness. I just have to be faithful. And Christ has already defeated the darkness and he's coming again. So I'd encourage you and encourage myself, right, in this, these seasons, because we're in, right into the holidays. I mean, this is the season in which we connect our lives to this greater story with Christmas. And this is the season of Advent, this waiting for the king. Connect your story. Rejoice and feast regularly together, right? Tell each other the stories of God's goodness. Tell each other, remind each other of the ending to the story so that we can be a people who wait properly, who look forward to the rising of the sun and who know of the ending, that we know where everything is going as we wait and we hope. So this is our life. We've been called to follow Jesus, which is so good. And that following of Jesus is not dependent on us. right? But my life of following him is dependent on him. And one day, my king will come, your king will come, our king will come, and we will feast together in his halls, and we will not remember the pain and suffering of this world anymore. That's our hope. That's what drives us, right? It's what helps us to make sense of the highs and the lows within our life. So remember the story. Speak of the story, sing of the story. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. Just thank you for your love. We thank you for the hope that we have in you. Lord, we thank you for the work that you've done. Lord, we thank you for the hope that we have that one day all of the pain, all of the darkness, all of the violence will be undone. That one day we will live these complete and full lives. That there's nothing that we are going to miss out on. Lord, we thank you for the work that you did. We thank you for the first fruits of it that you give us in the resurrection. And Lord, we thank you for the reminders you give us as a church all the time of this, when we gather together, when we take communion, when we sing. Uh, Lord, we just ask for more and more strength to be able to 
grasp and understand your great love for us, the mercy that you've shown, the hope that we have. Uh, Lord, continue to show us your story. Lord, we, we weep with those who weep in the midst of this world and the pain that we've all felt and the hurt that we've had. And Lord, we look forward eagerly for the dawn when you will return. Lord, help us to be a people who are always waiting and always expecting and always looking forward to you. Lord, strengthen us to be faithful to the call that you have given us. Lord, help us to love you and to love each other. And Lord, help us, help us to not center our lives around ourselves. Lord, help us not to be so selfish with our love and with our life. Lord, help us to center our lives around you. Lord, we just pray that you complete the work that you've started. And Lord, we pray that you complete it quickly. Lord, we want our city and our nation and our world to be complete and whole. Lord, we want your peace to reign. We want your love. So Lord, we pray that you quickly finish it. And Lord, help us to join you in the work that you're doing. Lord, help us to see where you are working. And Lord, help us to join you. Father, we want to be faithful. Lord, we're eager for the day when you come back. Help us to hear that voice now, though, of you are pleased with us, that we are your sons and daughters in whom you are well pleased. Lord, that we don't have to just hope and pray that you will call us faithful, good servants, but that we already are. Lord, we thank you for the hope that we have. And Lord, we just ask that your spirit continue the work in us. In your name we pray. Amen.